Hey, we're walking through a series called Everyday Mission. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. In Romans chapter 6, and we're looking at this idea of who we are in Christ. That out of an everyday message, which is the gospel, comes an everyday identity. That who we are flows out of what God has done. And see, because of what God has done, last week we discovered that we are family. And this week we're going to look at this idea that service is not just something we do. No, servant describes who we are. Because Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to serve. We experienced his service, and therefore we go out into the world, not just to serve, but as servants who reflect the servant king. So in Romans chapter 6, we're going to discover this idea of being a servant to righteousness. Now, before we jump in that, there's three things that God has hardwired us for, three things that we operate in, whether we know God or not. And those three things are, first of all, to glorify God, that all of us will glorify God or we're going to glorify something else. But in the end, God is going to be glorified whether through justice and our rejection of him or through grace and our acceptance of him. But see, all of us are created with this internal hardwired drive to glorify him. Now, second, not only to glorify him, but to be discipled. Now, discipleship, we think of as, as a church word. It's something we hear about in a place like this. But see, discipleship's not just something that happens in a religious sense. It's happening every single day. Our culture is discipling us. Our, our culture is giving us a way of seeing ourselves, of seeing our culture, our world, and seeing others. We're constantly being discipled because we are followers. To glorify God means that we set our heart on him. If we don't set our heart on him, we're going to follow something else in this world, and we're going to be shaped by that, whether it's our parents or friends. We're going to see the world through some kind of lens. And so we were created to glorify. We were created to follow. And finally, we were created for connection and community. All of us were created to glorify in community, to follow in community, and to be with others now, what happened is when sin came into the world, all of those things that God has placed in us to renew our souls, to give us strength and joy in life, all of those things have been replaced with broken patches. And instead of glorifying him, we set our hearts on temporal things, and they fail us. And when they fail us, it breaks down. There's a breakdown in our relationships. There's a breakdown in how we see ourselves, how we see others, and everything begins to fall down this path towards brokenness. And that includes how we see ourselves as servants. Because I don't want to admit, and certainly when someone's not treating me well, that I'm a servant. I want to choose when I serve. And, and more so, I want to choose who I serve. But see, if we are truly servants, if that's our identity, then service, when we express that, it resonates with who God is. And it resonates with the fact that we were created to glorify him. And so in Romans chapter 6, we're going to see this picture that Paul describes of what it means to really be a servant to righteousness and life instead of a servant that leads to brokenness and death. i got to clean up my mess here. So in Romans chapter 6, and let me give you a little um, insight into what Paul's about to say. You know, in the book of Romans, there's a, a group of people who are criticizing Paul, and they're saying, listen, Paul, your gospel is not the true gospel. That your message isn't a message from God. Because, see, if God forgives us and accepts us through Jesus, then what's our motivation for living a holy life? You know, if God accepts you and your acceptance is secure, then why should you live 
a holy life. And see, God's interested in holiness. Therefore, Paul, the message that you're saying about Jesus can't be from God because God's interested in holiness. And if we're just forgiven, that's not going to lead to holiness. Now, the whole book of Romans is written in defense, really in defense of that argument, to say, no, the gospel is the gospel that comes from God, that through faith in Jesus, uh, our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. And, And on the cross, the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to us, meaning that the Father sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see us and accept us based on our behavior, He sees us and accepts us on the basis of the behavior and the death of Jesus. And so we are one with God. We're one with Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection. We are accepted. And so that's the gospel that he's defending. But in Romans uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 15 to 23, uh, Paul describes these two ways that we, we find ourselves at service in the world. So jump in with me on that in verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. So Paul is again answering this this argument. If we're accepted through faith in Jesus, that's going to encourage us to sin. And he's saying, no, we're not under the law. We're under grace. That does not mean we're going to continue to sin. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you're If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." See, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to a more lawless, meaning leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So the question isn't, are we a servant? The question that Paul's addressing is, what are you serving? If God's created us with this internal drive and this need to glorify and to worship him, he's saying we're we're serving one of two things. We're either serving sin that leads to death, or we're serving obedience which leads to life. Now, this comes from the Old Testament, though we're reading in Romans chapter 6, the first commandment in the Old Testament is to have no other gods before me, which is a negative way of saying, you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it it has the idea that if you're not worshiping God, you're going to worship something. And what Paul is saying is if we are servants, the question isn't, are we a servant? The question is really, what are we serving? Are we serving sin which leads to death and life? 
Or are we serving obedience to God, which leads to righteousness and leads to life? So what is it that we are serving? So the question has to become, okay, first question we need to ask is, what does it look like if sin is your master? Now, one of the challenges with a text like this is when we hear the word slave, we think of the African slave trade. And we kind of get stuck on those words. That when he's saying, be a slave of righteousness, we go, I don't like that. Paul, I don't like that. I don't like that idea of slavery. But you have to understand, the New Testament concept of slavery was a little bit different. It wasn't better. It was, it's different than what we understand slavery as in the United States. It wasn't race-based. It wasn't something to enslave a group of people, to diminish them. Instead, in some cases, some people actually chose slavery instead of debt. If you're a wealthy landowner, they would uh, indenture themselves to you. They would become a bondservant to serve you so that they may find a path in life that led to prosperity. So some people chose slavery. It doesn't mean that slavery was a good thing. And it doesn't mean the New Testament is promoting it. Rather, it was a part of the, ec the economy of the culture in which Paul lived. And he's asking the question, when you look at your life, what does your life say about what you serve? And what does it mean to be really a slave to sin? Well, Jesus captured what slavery to sin looks like in John chapter 8, verse 34. In John 8, 34, Jesus answered them. And he said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices, and notice the language he's using, it's important. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So to be a slave to sin means, first of all, we're practicing sin. Now, practicing sin doesn't mean I just fall into temptation. doesn't mean that I simply stumble. Rather, to practice sin is to be in a lifestyle of habitual disobedience. It's a rhythm of sin. That's kind of the mode and the operation of my life is not to worship and love God, but rather to worship and love the things that I desire. And so to practice sin is really to be in this mode and this operation of living for sin and living for the brokenness of life. Now, to be a slave to that means I have no will of my own. When you think of what a servant or a slave is, is they have no will of their own. They don't get to choose what they're going to do and where they're going to go for lunch. They don't get to choose what they're going to wear that day or what they're going to do or the, the pursuit they're going to have in life. If their master says to them, hey, today, uh, you're going to clean the house. They don't get to say to the master, no, you know, that's not really not what I'm interested in today. I've got, a, I've got a, a busy schedule. Maybe I'll get to that tomorrow. A, a slave or a servant doesn't have a will of their own. Rather, their will is borrowed from their master. And so to be a slave to sin means that our will is, is enslaved to sin. And it results, in the end, in death. It's a pattern of life that leads to brokenness. And so in verse 19, Paul's going to explain how this kind of plays itself out. So watch the way that he describes this, verse 19. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Here's what he's saying. It starts with impurity, meaning it starts with a little decision, an innocent decision. I'm not trying to get myself enslaved. I'm just choosing in this moment to follow my desires. And what happens is impurity leads to lawlessness, then he says what happens is that lawlessness, it starts to gain some momentum in your life, and it leads to more lawlessness, more brokenness. And what you find yourself one day is in a place you never intended to be. You find yourself in a place you never said in life, hey, that's where I want to go. As a, a little boy, a little girl, you never said, that's the direction I want to head in life. I want to be enslaved to my desires. 
You know, I've done a lot of weddings. Done a lot of weddings. I've never met a man on his wedding day who said this. You know, I'm real excited to get married. But in about five years, I want to create some real emotional distance between me and my wife. You know, that's my hope. I'm getting married today. She looks beautiful. She's coming down the aisle. But my thought is, you know, I want to create some deception in my marriage. I'm going to start lying to her. You know, not about big stuff. You know, not about big stuff, but just money issues. You know, we're doing better than, than she thinks we are or what I did today or who I was with because she knows that, you know, I worked with some people that she doesn't agree with. And so I don't want to tell her that I went to lunch with those people. And so I'm just going to start to create this emotional distance because she knows something's wrong. And we're going to start pulling apart. And then one day, one day, I'm going to see this co-worker, and um, it's just going to begin with some innocent flirtation. You know, nothing serious. I'm not, I'm not interested in taking it anywhere. But we're going to just start flirting with each other. And then one day, as time goes on, we're going to break our vows. I'm going to break my vow to God, to my wife, and to my family. And then, this is the good part, I get to come home and drop a bomb on my children. And say, hey, guys, listen, we're going to get a divorce. I'm going to go live with this woman over here. Uh, I don't love your mom anymore. I'm out of here. And not only is it going to mess up my relationship with my kids, it's going to destroy their marriage. And it's going to destroy their concept of marriage because my sin is going to start pouring over to the next generation. And hopefully, hopefully like five generations down, it's going to get fixed. I don't think anybody on their wedding day says, hey, I want to create a relationship that eventually is going to lead to destruction, not just for my wife, but for my entire family. But how often does that story play itself out? And it plays itself out with what we think is just a small, simple decision. It's impurity. Hey, it's no big deal. It's just pornography. It's just a moment. I'm stressed. My wife's not giving me what I want. It's okay. I can't tell you how many Christian men I talk to that say, when it comes to pornography, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not Okay, and it leads to death. It's one momentary thing that over time begins to start to suck you in. And it starts with really the idea, hey, it's okay. That's what he's describing when he says impurity leads to lawlessness and lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. It's the little decisions that begin to, to suck us in. And that's a picture of what slavery looks like. You know, there was a, uh, in the 90s, kind of dating myself, there was a television show and I love this show, which kind of says something about my heart, but um, it was called When Animals Attack. I don't know if you've ever seen this. And often what they would highlight in these television shows were pets, not, not the normal pet. I mean, the exotic type pet that one family would bring home little Simba. You know, and little Simba's a 15-pound uh, cub. He's just a lion, right? He's probably 15 pounds, sleeps with the dog, uh, plays with the kids. They're in the backyard. They pet. You know, it just eats right out of your hand. But eventually, little Simba grows up to be a full-grown male lion, and that little backyard starts to frustrate him. And the noise around him starts to frustrate The fact that he's not the alpha really starts to bother him. But when he's bothered, he's not just irritable. When he's bothered, he eats the pet. When he's bothered, he mauls the children. And it's, it's terrible. These stories about people that would bring these wild animals into their home and treat them like pets and be surprised. I can't believe that he killed the dog. Don't you realize what this is, what you're playing with? And I think Paul's trying to get that same idea when it comes to the decisions that we make in life. We kind of downplay it. It's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal if Jesus had to die on the cross. It's a big deal that, that conviction comes to the Spirit, and the Spirit has to wake us up to the decisions that were. It's a big deal. And what he's saying is that those, those little decisions that enslave us 
take us to a place we never intended to go, and it leads ultimately to death. That's the picture that he's describing. You know, in James chapter 1, James captures it this way. He says, each one of us is tempted when, and hear his voice, each one is tempted when by our own desires. So it's our desire within us. We're dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. None of us choose, none of us think, hey, I'm going to bring a full grown lion into my family. But it, it's conceived. The idea leads to conception. Conception leads to birth. And birth leads to death. It starts with a simple decision. Now, what is it that sin uses to destroy life? So watch this in verse 21. Paul says in verse 21, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So he's saying when you were living that lifestyle, when you're going down that path, you look back and there's shame. And sometimes there's shame in the midst of it, and certainly for Christians, I think often we're not honest about what's really going on because of shame. And there's a big difference between guilt and shame. You know, guilt can be a good thing. Because guilt says, I did the wrong thing. I went in the wrong path. I don't want to head in that direction. God, forgive me. Restore me. Guilt leads to honesty and transparency. It can. But see, shame says, I did the wrong thing. Therefore, I am a bad person. And I need to hide what's in my life. I need to project an image in life that's not who I am. It's not what I'm feeling right now. Because, see, there's some stuff in my life that if you found out about, like pornography, you would reject me. And so I've got to maintain and I've got to pretend. I've got to keep up appearances. I've got to cause you to believe that I am someone that I'm not. Listen, when you live that way, you can't receive the grace that then transforms life. You see, the grace that transforms life, what, what happens is it comes out through confession. And you say, hey, this is my brokenness. And instead of receiving rejection, you receive grace and love, redemption, and they bring you into community. That's what transforms life. That's the stuff that renews the soul because all of us, everyone in this room, we've got brokenness. And when shame comes in and covers it, what happens is we start pretending and we now keep our soul from all the things that are going to restore us and bring joy and healing in life. And so he's saying what happens is those little decisions lead to shame. Shame leads to a false view of myself. And in the end, that leads to brokenness and to death. Because see, now I've got to hide. I can't let you know what I'm dealing with or what's, what's going on in my life. And so that's a picture of how we can be enslaved to sin. But what does it mean to be enslaved to life? You know, as we read Romans chapter 6, it's preceded, obviously, by Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that the righteousness that we have doesn't come from what we do. And this is good news. It doesn't come from what we do. Rather, the righteousness with which God looks at us comes from what Jesus has done. And so watch this in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Paul writes, For as by the one man's disobedience, and he's referring to Adam, Romans 5, 19, for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made, and notice the language, will be made righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. It's through faith in Jesus we are made righteous, and because now we're accepted by God through grace, we want to be righteous. And so he's saying our obedience flows out of what Jesus himself has done. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And on the cross, 
All of those little decisions that lead to death, he died for. And he replaced our sin, our brokenness, with his perfect obedience. So now when I walk to the Father, when I come into the Father's house, when I pray to the Father, when I approach the Father, I approach the Father on the righteousness of Jesus. That the Father sees me as if I have done everything that Jesus has done. And see, that leads to gratitude, which leads to obedience. It doesn't lead to shame. Because here's the reality. God knows all that stuff. He knows right now what we're hiding. He knows right now the things that we do not want to see come out. And yet, instead of rejecting us, he has sympathy, compassion, and mercy for us. Because he knows the only thing we're keeping ourselves from is freedom. The only thing we are keeping ourselves from is freedom. Because see, what the opposite of freedom is slavery. And to be enslaved means to be under a law. And here's the law that we're under when we're under shame. Here's the law that we're under. If I tell someone, I will not be loved. If I deal with this and I become honest, I will not be seen. I will not be respected. And all of us have this lie, and it's a law. It's a power in your life because you believe, I can't tell people about this. What's happening is instead of trusting in grace, you're trusting in your own obedience. And you're thinking, hey, I can just kickstart myself. I can clean this stuff up. And what he's saying is through faith in Jesus, we're no longer under the power of sin. We're now, now under the power of righteousness. We don't have to live this way. We have a resource that we can say, no, this is not the life that I want to live. God has made me a servant of righteousness. He wants me to live in a way that reflects who he is. And so watch this, just verse 19. In verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once, notice, you presented your members, so you presented your life as slaves to impurity, which means you invested into the stuff. It's not like the sin that we lived in, we just kind of played around with. No, we were committed. We were committed as any athlete. We were committed. We gave our heart, our mind, our money, our devotion. We gave everything to this pursuit. And so he says, we presented our members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That just as we gave ourselves over to sin, he's saying, are we in the same way giving ourselves over to righteousness? You see, when you do, what starts to happen is each step you take towards righteousness leads to a greater passion for righteousness. Each step you take towards Christ leads to a greater passion for Christ. You may ask, how do I build my passion for God? Well, you've got to start walking towards God. God's not going to zap you with passion. Now, he may do that on the day that you are accepted and saved through the gospel, but it's about discipleship. It's about taking those passions that he's placed within you, that new heart that loves God, and flaming, uh, flaming it, Fl- <laughs> setting it on fire, right? And allowing that thing to grow. The only way you're going to do that, you've got to start walking towards that because that's who you are. God has created us in such a way that we are servants to his deeds now. To his goodness. Now, what does that look like for us? Real quickly. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says that we are to serve not to the pleasure of man, but to the pleasure of God. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us good, do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That we are to serve not to the pleasure of man, but to the pleasure of God. So your boss is not your boss. As much as he, he thinks he's your boss, he may be your human director, he may be your, the one you report to, but your boss is Jesus. 
And so when you go to work, you don't complain about your boss. Instead, you take that complaint to Jesus, who is the true boss. And instead of honoring just your boss, you're honoring God, which means that you're free from the boss. You're free from that human boss. And instead, you're now under a greater master, which is Jesus, to reflect him. And so when we walk into the world and go out into the world, we're not under the powers of the world. We're under the power of Christ. Now, what does that look like? I think we need to be generous with our words and our finances. And listen, let's start just with our words. You can hold on to the finances, right? But let's be generous. We're in a divided culture where there is cynicism, slander, name-calling. You know what confuses people? When you use your words to generously bless someone else, when you stop and acknowledge that that's a human being serving me, it's not just someone that's going to get me on my way. That, that's a person that God has created in his image. And regardless of what's going on in their life, I have an opportunity to bless them and speak truth into their life. Because how often are you with somebody, they're serving, and you can tell they're not having a good day. You know, that's not the face of a good day. And every once in a while, they'll be honest with you. And you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, you know, not too well. That's the opportunity. To say to that person, you know, I don't know what you believe, but listen, God hears our prayers. And in Jesus' name, I know if you just cry out to him, he's going to hear your prayer and respond. And he wants to answer you. You know, People aren't offended by that, by saying God hears our prayers. That's not going to offend people. It's an opportunity to bless someone. Or say someone's going through a difficult time in life, just to say to them, you know, God wants to use this season in your life to strengthen you and to bring what you need. He's not using this to destroy you, but in Jesus' name, I I just want to bless you right now that God wants to use this in your life for good. Now, here's what will happen. They'll think you're weird. And we need to accept that, church. We are weird. You know, the the fact that we don't want to be weird is weird because Jesus stood out. And in a culture that is not following Jesus, we should be weird. And it's, I don't think your neighbor is going to say, hey, Jason, you know, stop blessing me in Jesus' name. I'm just annoyed by that. And I don't think any of your coworkers, when, they're not going to say, hey, stop being generous with your words. Stop being kind to me. Now, when they know that we follow Christ, when we are generous with our words, it says something about Christ. And so this week, as servants to God, we need to say, hey, these are the words I may want to say, but these are the words that bring life. Let's use those words. And then here's the last idea, and I'll close with this, is, you know, in every organization, there's this 20-80 principle. Have you heard that? That 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That doesn't reflect the heart of God. And that happens in every church. That's not just Bergen Park Church. That happens in every church. And if God has called us to reach this community, we can't wear out the people who feel that calling and start to serve. It's something we have to own together. We have to own together. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you're going through a season of brokenness, we want you to be here and to be encouraged and supported. But if you know this is where God has planted you, if you know this is a community of people that you want to be on mission for this community to reach them for the gospel, then that means I've got to ask, hey, how can I be involved? Not just in my attendance or in my giving, but in the way that I serve. You know, the most important area in this church isn't in this room. 
this is not the most important thing. You know, the most important thing is when someone walks in and they're greeted by somebody out there that actually cares about who they are. And then they come back next week and they know their name. That's more powerful than what happens really in this room. Or when they're walking to this children's area, because there's nothing more important than your kid. And certainly when you've got that little kid, you know, that four or five-year-old, you've never taken them into a nursery, and you've got a, a mom, you've got a dad there that instead of just sitting in that room kind of comes out, embraces that child, and loves them and brings them in, they're going to show up in this room with peace and security because that kid is loved and cared for. That's the most important thing that's happening right now. And they're over in this corner, and they don't get thanked. They don't get acknowledged. They don't get that kind of love that we get. But see, they know they're vital when it comes to reflecting the heart of God. And see, a couple weeks ago, we did this I'm In campaign, and I know a lot of you signed up, and we were grateful for that. A lot of you have some background checks. I need you to fill them out in Jesus' name. <laughs> we need your help because here's what's happening. And this happens in any time a church grows. The 20% take on 100%. The 20% instead of doing 80%, you know, they're doing 90%. They're, they're doing 95%. And, and then they start coming to me, and they start breaking down. I can't let that happen to those people. And so together, as the body of Christ, we need to be the body of Christ and serve one another in a way and serve this community in a way that reflects the heart of who God is. Because there's some stuff coming up. You know, we have some plans coming up in the new year and in, uh, as we get closer to the Christmas season, there's a plan for Celebrate Recovery that we're talking about. We're going to need people who are involved in that. We've got a plan in December to start a prayer service between the two services. Just 20 minutes that we're going to read scripture and come in here together and have that time just really to, as we, I think, get towards Christmas and the craziness of that, allow the meaning of who Christ is to really abide with us. And be in that together. And we also want to create a space in the wintertime in this room for moms, for dads to gather with their kids. You know, we don't have a lot of places. You can go to McDonald's, go down that nasty slide. That's one place you can go. You know, hang out with your girlfriends there or your guys there. That's not a place. We want coffee here. We want people to walk in on a Wednesday from 9 to 1 o'clock and have something set up here where moms, dads, they can sit down. They can play with other people. Play with other people. They can play their kids. <laughs> They're kids. Not, don't play the, yeah. And those kids are safe in a warm environment with people that love them. And we want to create those environments for this community because we love this community. And we want you to be a part of that movement with us. And so this week, would you just ask the Lord, Lord, where is it I need to serve? So that we may reflect not just what we serve, but who we are. That we worship a servant king. And he has served us. And to the degree he served us, we should serve one another. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that this is the place of grace. It's not of condemnation. You call us to serve because in serving, we experience you. And this is not the only place that we serve. We serve in the world. We serve where we work. We serve in our homes. This is one aspect. But, Lord, when we serve here, it can influence our work in our home because we're putting ourselves in a place of obedience and submission to you and in love to others. And so, Father, as a community at Bergen Park, would we reflect your heart? Father, would we reflect our, your heart? And when we don't want to serve, Lord, would we see uh, simply and turn our eyes to the cross and see what you've done in serving us? May that melt us uh, to have the, the commitment to be a slave to righteousness and a slave to you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have in Jesus' name.
Amen. Will you please stand as we close in worship? As you go out this week, I just pray we have a, a blessed week. This is one of my, I love this melody as we sang it this morning. It was just such a comfort. So <clears throat> sing it out with me. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit go with us this week and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week. It's good to see you.